This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Welcome to Nutshell Politics this week. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I will be your charming host as we dive into a brand new topic on this week's episode. This week, we're going to be talking about a common theory in political science. It's one that I I find really interesting, and I think you will as well. Uh, It's called the resource curse. Uh, Now, sometimes you'll hear this also referred to as the paradox of plenty. I really like the alliteration on that. Uh, But the resource curse is one of those very confusing paradoxes that we see across the world in politics. And we're going to kind of explore what the resource curse is, uh, talk about maybe reasons for it, some theories, and we'll also talk about some of the exceptions to it. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and take a step back and talk about what the resource curse is. So the resource curse is this paradox in political science where you tend to see countries that have a lot of natural resources, and by that I mean oil, gas, fossil fuels, minerals, those types of things. Countries that have a lot of those also tend to see less economic growth, and their overall development seems to turn out to have worse results than countries that have fewer natural resources. And this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Why would countries that have resources tend to see less development and poorer economies? And so this is why you get the idea of the paradox of plenty, the paradox of having a lot, or the idea that resources somehow curse you as a country. And so I want to talk about kind of what this is. Uh, So the resource curse at its most basic is just this idea that having natural resources may end up being more of an economic curse than a blessing. And this kind of idea first cropped up, as far as we can tell, in the 1700s. Uh, There was an article where it said, it is generally observed that in countries of the greatest plenty, there is the poorest living. That's a direct quote uh, from the article. So this is not like a completely new observation, but we didn't really see that idea from the 1700s manifest itself into anything until much, much later. Uh, We start to see this debate about resources being a curse in the 1950s and 1960s because you start to look at a lot of the low and middle income countries that existed around the world. And there was a couple people who started to point out, hey, a lot of these countries do have a lot of natural resources. And so you started to see some debate about it, but we didn't actually see the term resource curse crop up until 1993. There was a man by the name of Richard Auty, that's A-U-T-Y, who sits down and he starts to describe how countries that have lots of mineral resources are unable to use that resource, whatever that resource is, to bolster their overall economies. And then kind of consequently how those countries then end up having lower economic growth overall. And you start to see uh, researchers, excuse me, look into this. And so you have Jeffrey Sachs, Andrew Warner, they did a famous study where they found a strong correlation between having natural resources, 
and having poor economic growth. And hundreds of studies now have come out about this idea, and they've offered all kinds of explanations for how this uh, happens, why it's happening, you know, reasoning behind it, outcomes. And on top of that too, like if we can predict when this resource curse is likely to occur. Now let's take a, a step back here and talk a little bit about some of the examples of this. So the first, I should say, precursor to the idea of the resource curse was something called the Dutch disease. And this came about in 1959. Uh, the Dutch, that's the, the Netherlands, discovered a huge field of natural gas in 1959 in kind of the northeastern part of the Netherlands. It's a quadrant up there or a, a province, I guess. And it's the largest natural gas field in all of Europe. It's the 10th largest in the world. And so the Netherlands seeks to use this resource as a way to export that gas so they can make profit and boost their overall economy. However, almost as soon as the Netherlands starts exporting this, we start to see the Netherlands go into a recession. The gas market grows, the export economy shrinks, and we start to see the Netherlands decline economically. And we start to see this pop up in other places as well. Uh, Venezuela with oil did the same thing. Uh, Angola in Africa with diamonds and oil. The Democratic Republic of the Congo with diamonds and all kinds of other nations that are considered resource wealthy but have been victim of the resource curse. And actually, Venezuela has been in the news recently for their incredibly poor economy, which is remarkable considering you know, just how resource wealthy they are with oil. Uh, they're actually one of the most resource wealthy countries in the world when it comes to oil, and yet their economy is, is so, so terrible. Now, essentially, the idea here, at least with the Dutch disease, is that as a country becomes wealthy in this and they start to be able to be competitive, the overall market for that good declines because they have started to flood the market with, with the goods. So the price drops. You start to see kind of an unfavorable balance of trade. Imports become cheaper in other sectors. Uh, in, employment starts to suffer. Goods start to go down. Costs, salaries, all these things start to drop. And then along with it, you get infrastructure and capability of the nation. And we see this, as I said, throughout the world in different parts of the world. I mentioned Europe, Africa, um, South America. And so we see a lot of research or scholarship on this idea of the resource curse. Um, as I said, there's been hundreds of studies on this now trying to explain it, predict it, understand it. And in fact, we've also seen this uh, idea start to crop up at an individual level with a lot of people trying to make the analogy to a lottery winner, for instance. Uh, we frequently see you know, lottery winners very infamously end up struggling economically because they struggle to kind of manage the side effects of suddenly having wealth that they didn't have before and how to manage that. And it's so frequent to have lottery winners end up declaring bankruptcy. And so a lot of people have tried to kind of liken these two phenomenons together. Now, of course, this is an idea that is not universal. And I, I want to emphasize this. This is not something where, like, where all resource-rich uh, countries in the world experience this. It's not inevitable. And so a lot of the current scholarship on it is trying to explain why. You know, why does one country with a lot of resources or, or an abundance of one resource fail or struggle economically, and why do others not? 
Now, the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund, actually tracks a lot of this. Uh, the IMF has classified 51 countries around the world as what they call, in quotes, resource rich. So these are countries where at least 20% of their exports or of their revenue comes from some sort of non-renewable natural resource. Now, of those 51, 29 of them are on the kind of low or maybe low middle income levels. So low to low middle economies. Now, frequently what we'll see in those 29, again, these are these are already resource-rich countries. We tend to see a lot of dependence on, on uh, resource wealth. We see low saving rates, poor growth, volatile revenues. And ultimately what we find is that the overall scholarship on this idea is kind of mixed. About 40% uh, of papers on this topic do find that curse to exist. Uh, about 40% find no effect, and about 20% seem to find actually a positive effect on resources, which again speaks to this idea that maybe there is something else happening here, where you see countries either go one of two ways. When they get a lot of natural resources, they either become cursed and have a really poor economic effect on their overall economy, or they become wealthy from it. But even if there are even some countries that seem to struggle with this, that does raise a question. How does a country that is so wealthy in terms of its resources that it just naturally has, that it's lucky enough to have, how do those types of countries struggle economically long-term when they have so much wealth within the country to begin with? And there's a lot of explanations for this, I should say possible explanations for this. Uh, but before we jump into that, we'll do that after the commercial break. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to just give kind of one, I should say two case studies as an example here of the dynamic that exists here, two diverging economies. So we're going to talk about two countries in Africa, Zambia and Botswana. So Zambia is near the bottom of all pretty much all countries worldwide. Uh, but Botswana, which is also they're both former British colonies, they're neighbor neighboring countries. Botswana has completely prospered and flourished. Both of them have natural resources, but one flourishes while the other fails. And so why is that? And so I want to just talk about these two that kind of demonstrate this dynamic and some of the possibilities that are taking place here before we get into explanations for the curse overall. Uh, so Zambia has suffered from that resource curse. As I said, they're kind of near the bottom of all countries. They have copper. Copper is kind of their big natural resource. And ultimately, what they did is when they found these copper mines, they nationalized the copper mines and put them under state control. And ultimately, the government used the copper revenue that was generated from these mines to buy support to establish a, a one-party system state that was essentially designed to pad the pockets of those in power. It became very non-democratic, and ultimately, uh, Zambia really struggled and suffered because of this. Basically, what happens is the Zambian government generated a lot of wealth through their natural resources, but because it was not distributed or reinvested into human capital, education, and training, and those types of things, they ultimately really suffered from this resource curse. On the flip side, you have Botswana. Now, Botswana encouraged a lot of foreign investment into its diamond mines. So while Zambia was copper, Botswana is diamond. But ultimately, what they did is they managed to 
escape the resource curse by investing into human capital. They provided education, they built physical infrastructure, uh, they implemented more democratic institutions, and they ultimately started to flourish and prosper in Africa. They're one of the few countries that's managed to do that. And so we're going to talk about after the break kind of what the distinction is between these two countries that explains why one country might flourish and another might not. Obviously, I kind of hinted at that a little bit in this explanation. But ultimately, this natural resource wealth will frequently correspond to corruption and patronage, eliminates any sort of accountability. It means there's no diversification of the economy. But we're going to talk about all of that on the other side. Uh, so stick with me through a short commercial break, and we will jump back on the other side of the commercial uh, to deal with the explanations and possible solutions for the resource curse. So thanks for sticking with me, and I'll be back with you guys in just a minute. So hang in there. All right, I'm back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that commercial break. Uh, we're going to just go ahead and jump right back in on the resource curse. So as I talked about before the break, the resource curse is just this idea that when a country is very resource rich or resource wealthy, and by that I mean they have a lot of natural resources or a lot of a single natural resource, whether it's oil or natural gas or some sort of mineral like diamonds, those countries also tend to see poor economic growth. Now, as I talked about kind of near the end of that first segment, this is a little bit mixed. There are some countries that do tend to show positive economic growth when they have resources and other countries that do not. And so we kind of are moving towards this question of, well, what explains that? What explains that, that distinction? Why do some countries that have resources become very poor economically, like Venezuela, Angola, uh, the Netherlands, when they first uh, discovered natural gas there? And now I want to add an extra wrinkle to this. So one other effect that we tend to see in countries that have natural resources is that countries whose economies are dominated by extracting and exporting some sort of natural resource also tend to be a lot less stable. And by that, I mean, you tend to see more, often see more things like violence uh, and rebellion, separatist groups. And overall, that means less or uh, fewer democratic institutions and less overall stability. And so there's a lot of factors here in addition to just economic growth that come into play as well. And in fact, there was a, a literature review back in the early 2000s, I believe it was 04, that said that finding oil actually makes the onset, the, the beginning of war more likely. And that if you have any sort of natural resource that is, uh, in their words, lootable, in other words, something that rebel groups could go in and try to steal and loot, existing conflicts that are currently ongoing actually can get even longer because of this. And there's a lot of theories about this relationship between natural resources and conflict. And in fact, there's a lot of disagreement about this as well. Some people say, no, there's, it's, that doesn't exist. That's some sort of external third factor. But the main arguments here as to why this might be true, and if it is true, what's causing it, is that the, the discovery and potentially exploitation of certain natural resources alters the balance of power between regimes, between ethnic groups in some countries, uh, between separatist organizations, separatist, separatist groups. And this means that any sort of bargaining theory, and I think I've touched on bargaining theory a little bit on this podcast, but it's probably been a while, but bar bargaining theory is this idea of trying to find a bargain or a, um, 
an agreement somewhere that makes both sides happy and kind of how you, how you do that. But essentially when one side suddenly sees an influx of natural resources and power, any sort of bargains become more or less obsolete because they don't need to bargain anymore because they suddenly have an influx of power. And when you don't need to bargain for any sort of ceasefire or anything along those lines, uh, you can see it increase in conflict because there's no there's no reason to stop fighting and come to some sort of a ceasefire agreement. And further studies have shown that statistical relationship between war, particularly at ethnic wars, and oil wealth. So we do tend to see this relationship, whether it's a particularly strong relationship or if there's exceptions, that's all definitely possible. But this does seem to be a relationship here, not only between resources and poor economic growth, but resources and conflict and instability, lack of democracy, you tend to see these be a lot more authoritarian countries. Research has shown that oil wealth, in particular oil wealth, actually does see lower levels of democracy. I've mentioned this a couple times, but in particular, it actually strengthens autocracy. So while it may not, say, undermine a, a currently existing democracy, petroleum and oil actually does give a lot of power and economic power and wealth and strength to autocratic regimes and actually make them stronger. Uh, so we've seen multiple studies on those. There's one in 2014 that showed a negative impact of oil wealth on democracy and becoming a democracy. There was a 2016 study on the relationship between oil and authoritarianism. And in particular, what we tend to find when we research this relationship between like democracy and oil, again, particularly oil seems to be the big one here. We don't seem to see it changing democracies to autocracies necessarily, but when you already have an autocratic regime, it seems to exacerbate that autocratic element of these regimes. So if you have, say, a moderate autocracy suddenly discovers oil, that seems to move them more and more autocratic, more and more authoritarian. All right. Now, that's a lot of things I've just thrown at you guys. I'm going to take a second and just pause and we're going to move back towards talking about why. Because the explanation for this, I think, is really important and it could shed some light. First is that this is probably not about strictly having the resources, but it's more about the dependence on the resources. In other words, is this natural resource their only source of income? I think this is this is probably the biggest question because dependence has a lot to do with things besides whether or not they simply have the resource, right? A lot of countries rely very heavily on natural resource exports and they're poor and they're unstable, but this is probably more to do with the idea that they're relying either solely or almost solely on the natural resource. In other words, they're not investing in other types of industries like banking, computing, or in computer design or any sort of industry that is service-based or manufacturing-based or anything really along those lines. But if all your country is good at is natural resources, it's really hard to get rich if all, all you're really doing is, is digging things out of the ground and exporting them. And there's a lot of reasons for that in particular. And a big one is that resources tend to vary in cost and, uh, and and revenue, essentially. Basically, the commodities prices and production can vary year to year quite drastically at times. And so what this means is that it's really, really hard for a country to effectively 
manage revenue that fluctuates drastically from year to year. And so countries, particularly governments that run countries, get kind of trapped in this cycle. It's called a, a boom or a bust cycle where when the price is high and they're doing really well, they spend like crazy on huge projects. And then all of a sudden, you know, one year comes along, prices drop for whatever reason, and they fluctuate drastically, and all of a sudden revenues drop. And they have to do massive cuts to everything they've been working on. And so basically the idea here is that countries have a a poor record of managing their money when they're wealthy and then adjusting when those prices drop and they lose revenue. Uh, we've seen countries that are resource rich, they have a tendency to, to really overspend on things like government salaries. And I want you to hear me when I'm saying that government salaries means they're funding really their own pockets. Uh, they often spend on large monuments to themselves or uh, what you might consider legacy projects, things that will affect their legacy long term airports and, and those types of major, major projects. They tend to overspend on those types of things and they tend to underspend on things like health and education and social services because they don't need to spend a ton on it right now in terms of like a percentage because they're so wealthy in those years. But w once those prices drop and the revenues drop, all of a sudden that percentage of, on things like health and education becomes a very low raw number. And this leads to a massive debt crisis. We saw this, this is Venezuela. This is a classic example of what's happening in Venezuela. They have some uh, very troubling economic policies that they've implemented over the last few decades. Uh, actually, Venezuela is a, is a great example of this because they actually were one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Uh, per capita at one point, I think they were in the top five in the world and they started implementing some of these massive spending projects prices on things dropped and they their country just collapsed basically and there's there's a lot of other reasons for Venezuela collapsing and that's a different podcast different day but that that's a good example of kind of mismanagement of of money and funds and spending on the wrong types of things uh, we also saw debt crises in Mexico Nigeria etc through the 80s and this affects both public and private sectors because basically when the price of your their natural resource is very volatile that means their revenue is volatile. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's very hard for anybody to manage money when the money inflow is volatile from month to month, year to year, decade to decade. How do you handle these massive swings back and forth? The other thing, though, too, is when you become very dependent, particularly on one natural resource, as opposed to diversifying, you always run the risk that that resource will go out of favor. Uh, we're seeing this now with a lot of the oil and natural gas reserves in certain countries. Again, Venezuela being a prime example, but you have other countries as well kind of caught in this. As we're starting to move away from some of the, the more natural resource-based energy ideas and moving towards things like solar power, wind power, whatever, uh, obviously we can't get rid of the natural resources entirely uh, for a variety of reasons, mainly because a lot of these alternative sources like wind power are un unreliable at this point. But as we're kind of moving away from that, even a little bit, that's starting to affect the demand on the country's main economic resource. And so countries that are, are very focused on one resource because that's all they have, or they have neglected to invest in other types of industries, when they're so dependent on that one resource, they're dependent on it. I mean, if that resource fails or price drops or whatever, all of a sudden the country fails. And so this is actually why we've seen a good example of a country that's trying to, to fix this is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has for a long time been essentially a one 
resource economy with their oil. And granted, they have lots of oil, and that's been a very great thing for them. But they have started to see that decline uh, as other countries have have discovered oil in their own backyards. The United States has started to uh, get oil. Canada, uh, Europe, Russia, they all have you know their own sources of oil and or are finding them in other places. And so Saudi Arabia has actually started to try to diversify and move into other industries as well to try to fend off this resource curse. Because as everybody knows, you know, Saudi Arabia is very, very wealthy right now, but they do kind of run the risk if they don't diversify in time or well enough if all of a sudden we stop needing natural, uh, sorry, if we stop needing their natural resource and oil, they could drop off a cliff economically. And so this is why we see that country starting to invest in other places and starting to manage their money a little bit better uh, than say, say they were doing 50 years ago or so because they are worried about that possibility. And actually, and they're actually are succeeding. We're seeing, I mean, we're starting to see industries pop up all over the country. Now, they're still in kind of very young stages of those, but we are seeing them start to take defensive action against this possibility of, of giving, being hit with the resource curse. The other thing that we're seeing too is that when a country relies very heavily on a resource that needs to be extracted, you know, mining of some kind, this has been impacted in recent years by environmental policies. And we're seeing this right now with the push uh, on you know things like climate change policies and things. The countries that are affected most by this are not the big countries necessarily. I mean, obviously, if the United States implements all of these these policies they're they're talking about, yes, that will dam that will damage the economy because it will require all kinds of other things in order to to comply with these environmental regulations. But the United States is big enough that we will weather that storm. The countries that can't weather that storm, are those countries that are very reliant on a single or a couple extractable natural resource because getting oil out of things or natural gas or whatever can cause environmental issues. Extracting resources can cause you know, dust from mining, uh, cause scar scarring on the landscape. You get noise pollution. You get a contamination of water and gas you get what's called gas flaring which causes a lot of co2 emissions and a lot of health problems it can actually cause uh, earthquake disturbances or called seismic disturbances and so when you start to crack down and require countries to meet certain environmental standards you're also necessarily restricting their ability to grow and to actually use the resource that they have in front of them um, so we have seen that crop up as well as a possible Explanation. Now, that's a little bit more of a recent explanation for what's going on, but we have seen that as a possible challenge. And this is why actually a lot of some of the poorer countries, say the pre-industrialization countries or the currently industrializing countries, they have often come out against some of these environmental regulations because they see it as countries like the United States and China and Russia or whatever, and a lot of Europe, they manage to use their environmental resources and grow due to them. But now they are what's called, they're kicking away the ladder and not allowing other countries to climb up and industrialize using that same ladder that all of these you know already industrialized countries have done. And so ultimately what we find with this so-called resource curse is that it's probably probably has less to do with having the natural resource and more to do with a poor quality of government or some sort of environment that stifles 
the growth of other industries, manufacturing and service industries, you know, like I said, computer chips or all these other types of more high tech industries. Uh, If they're in some sort of scenario where you can't, or where those industries can't grow, and so you become very reliant on the natural resource, that's going to cause some problems. And so there's a couple of things that you can, we can talk about as ways to stave off the curse. I already talked about one with what Saudi Arabia is doing is diversifying their economy, finding ways to invest in other industries and other areas of growth so that if something does happen to the price of oil or to whatever resource that country has, you know, they can lean more heavily on other industries and not uh, suffer as dramatically and undergo the, the massive fluctuations from year to year. But also, you know, we can do things like instituting um, more democratic institutions that have greater transparency, more oversight that kind of stave off the idea of government corruption and in some of the massive, say, funding projects that take place. Another approach that has been pushed, there's a group, group called the Center for Global Development that have suggested this, is that you know any sort of revenue generated from the resources should be passed on more to the citizens. So this is actually a model that we've seen adopted in Alaska. Obviously, Alaska is not its own country, but uh, they do operate in kind of a similar model here where a lot of the oil revenues generated in Alaska actually get passed on to the citizens. And so some countries have started to try to do that. Mozambique, uh, Afghanistan have both kind of signed on to what's called the Transparency Initiative, where this is part of their approach to try to help stave it off. But ultimately, what I, I think we should take from this is that while we do see, you know, having natural deposits of oils and minerals and things like that have frequently bought, brought economic inst- insecurity, instability, tyranny, instead of what you would think of, you know, freedom and social economic growth. There are certain concrete steps that countries can take to move away from this, the effects of this potential curse, moving away from uh, authoritarianism, opening your government to more and more transparency, uh, fighting corruption. And these are all kind of voluntarily th- voluntary things that a country has to undergo themselves, which is why you frequently don't see them happen, because you have to rely on participation from these countries. But ultimately, kind of international cooperation can help stave it off as well. And the investment into new technologies and into ultimately, if possible, renewable energy resources as opposed to uh, some of these non-renewable sources where the volatility in price is so much uh, more drastic. Uh, But with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode. I think it's a really fascinating topic. And the resource curse is one where there's a ton of research and not a ton of concrete answers. And as I said, I kind of talked about a few explanations and things that I think make a lot of sense. But ultimately, this is something that is still being studied by dozens and hundreds of of studies around the world over the last couple decades and will continue to do so going forward. Uh, So I think it's really fascinating. But with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening this week. I really appreciate all of you guys. If you're interested in getting in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter at JustinR underscore Kinney. Find me there, hit that follow button and reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk with you more about this topic, the resource curse or anything else. Or if you have any topics you want me to cover in the future, you can let me know there. If you're more of a Facebook person, you can find me on Facebook. I'm under J. Robert Kinney. It's an author name that I use to write fiction novels. I have two novels on Amazon you can find, one called Precipice and one called Splintered State, both under J. Robert Kinney. But you can find my Facebook page there. Hit that subscribe button. And again, reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk with you more about this, my books, or any other topic that you want to discuss. 
Now, if you're interested in supporting me or supporting this podcast uh, in any way or advertising on the podcast, there's a couple things you can do. You can check out my Patreon account, which is online. You can find that on patreon.com or you can reach out just directly to me and we, I'd be happy to talk with you more about the possibility of advertising or anything else on the podcast as well. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and call it a day, uh, call it a week, I guess, and I'll be back with you guys next week. Until then, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>